Yo, what up, people? It's your boy, Trav Dave, man. You know I'm here. You know what I do. You know how I feel. First show of the year, and I had to <laughs> I had to reach out to my homeboy, right? We go way back. Um, you know, one, one time for uh, what we talk about, man, the city, I felt like the city was friendly on what we talking about, my other podcast, and this guy stepped up and interviewed us, man. So, <laughs> you know, I always kept that in mind. Um, we've been rocking for a long time, and it's only right, man. I think he had an interesting story. He got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I, always, I always call him uh, the the hip hop force gum. <laughs> <laughs> Too many stories. Like he's been, he been everywhere at all times, man. So um, you know, I wanted to chop it up with him, man, and. Uh, get his perspective on a lot of things man especially this dj culture man i feel like uh he's been djing for a long time i remember meeting him real early in the early days of the redo so um you know I figured I'd get him on the show, my man. man. So, my man, my <laughs> man. Right. You know? So on top of my man. <laughs> I'm in DJ here. Lane Love. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Your auntie's favorite DJ. Here I am. So I always start off the shows with this, man. Same right. question. I start off every show. Okay. Why DJing? Ah, man. Um, well, well before... Um, Shout out to Pastor Yavis Ellis. Way before Shout out to Yavis. Yeah, way before he needed me to do that. Um, for some reason, you know, I always love music. And for whatever reason, they say you manifest things by the most simplest things. But anytime I would like listen to music or really get into music, you know, some people bob their head or they do a certain thing. Yeah. I would just always do this. I would always use my hands <laughs> and go and rub back and forth like I knew what I was doing. And I mean, it was just one of those things where it, it was it was gonna happen regardless, but yeah, I would always do this. No, so that's that's like the little origin, like yeah. no matter if you was rapping or <laughs> making beats, you know? yeah, I would always act like I was cutting or something <laughs> like that. But um, the the thing was is that I, people know that I started rapping in 1996, and uh, of course I have a extensive gospel background, so uh, that oh, yeah. was what I did. Is uh, I did the Christian rap thing. Because I was I was married early, man, and the, the thing was that I didn't want to go into places where my kids couldn't go. Like I was a real family guy, yeah. you know what I mean. So if it was the club, I was like, I'm a married dude, and you know why you really go to the club? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, people were like, oh, I'm just going to go out. No, you going to you going to see something? See something? You know what I'm saying? So I was like, man, I, I said, let me just go ahead and stay married. And then um, as far as loving the music, I just chose gospel because it was the most positive for my kids. Now, after a while, I mean, this is no shit on anybody. Can I curse on you? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm not shitting on anybody, but I didn't want to be a 30-year-old rapper. You know what I'm saying? I had the same plan. <laughs> From 20 to 30 was my... Yeah, I said if I didn't make it by 30, I was out. <laughs> yep, but I knew <laughs> music and hip-hop wasn't done with me. So well, the funny thing about it is that, you know, I've always been older in this game. People don't even realize now I'm 48 years old. But I've always had younger cats that gravitated towards me. So Yavis and them being 12 and 15 years my younger, they would just always gravitate. Like, why are these little dudes always hanging around me? You know what I'm saying? But, hot, man. Yeah, they were my friends, though. You know what I'm saying? So him, J. Flu, B. Moses. So what would happen is... B. Moses. Yeah, Brandon. Moses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I took the element of church because what would happen is, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, back in the day, we used to do shows with DAT, DAT machines or CDs. 
So I remember that. That that machine. Donnie had on it. <laughs> yeah. So by the time the song was done, let's say the crowd was filling your, your joint. Um you're done and over with. That song is done. You can't bring it back. And if it did, the, the sound guy didn't know what to do to bring it back or yeah, play it yeah. at the right part or what have you. So I, I looked at the church element. You know, when you singing in the choir, that organ, he can keep that song going for 10 minutes. You know what yeah. I'm saying? If he wants yeah, to. Yeah, he get busy. Yeah. So what I did was I said, yo, y'all need to stop doing shows with Dax. Y'all need to do it with a DJ. And that's mm. how I, I did it for y'all. Right. So... I know you grew up in a musical family. Like, how was the music in your household? Like, did that drive you towards gospel? Or, like, how was the, what was the music being played in your house on, like, a Sunday? Man, um, so a lot of y'all know that in my conflicted background is that uh, I've, I've lived in, like, 14 different homes when I was younger, you know what I'm saying, uh, until my father went to prison. Now, of course, the biggest influence is my father, Norman Whiteside. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hearing him uh, being in clubs, Joe's Hole, watching him play and stuff like that, it was just always fascinating that people gave him that kind of homage. So naturally, I would gravitate towards music because everybody's giving this guy homage. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, at that point, and then, of course, my other family uh, that originated Hebrew Baptist Church, even Robert Riley's on the check-in, that they kept us in church. Okay. So that's where all that gospel comes Shout from. Shout out to Rob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's my first cousin. Hey, hey, hey. You got a real, like, musical family because yeah. I, I um you know I recently interviewed Jama and he said y'all cousins too yeah, absolutely you know, shout yeah, out to I'm the same church <laughs> yeah. I, I, he still he still goes to that church to this day. Yeah. So what was like the 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 moment though? Was there like a song that really made you feel like yo I want to do this hip hop or I want to be like separate from the church was like yo I love this hip hop culture. Was there like a moment that happened or a song that happened? Yes. Yes, uh, Thanksgiving 1996. Um, we were just all, all the, all the, my brother-in-law was upstairs, and I was still a young guy at the time, so I'm about 22, but we're all upstairs while all the older people were downstairs, and we just listened to music, but uh, my brother-in-law starts freestyling. Mm. And I'm like, man, I can do that. <laughs> word, word. But I said, let me at least write down at least five, five of my lines, you know what I'm saying, and I'll go off the top for the rest of it. So I wrote five lines. And, you know, we took our rhymes. There was this little uh, Casio keyboard, and you can make beats off of that. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? All you got to do is, you know what I'm saying, hit the button and let the, let the beat go. Let the beat so, go. <laughs> so, like also Swiss beats. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Put the button. Or, or what's, what's your plan? Uh, hustle and flow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we let the beat go. Uh, William did his freestyle, killed it. I did mine. And even though I didn't do very well, I still felt it. I caught the bug that night. Mm. And so the very next day, oh, that's all I did was write rhymes. <laughs> the very next day, that's all I did was write rhymes. I had my baby right here. I had Diggy right here. And I was just like Hustle Flow, I'm just writing rhymes. It was crazy, man. Word. So, so like, um, I know I know uh, your pops, man. Um, was he, was you ever in a studio with him? Or was you, like, was was uh you know ever in like any sessions or anything with him or none of that no man i knew my dad for his street life you know what ah, I'm saying? yeah okay. I, I mean that's where we hung out at for real he was i mean everybody knows my dad was a bona fide pimp you know what i'm saying and, <laughs> and, and, and a, a real life pimp not no fake one i mean like <laughs> we would be out all night in the station wagon while the girls would be working mm -hmm. the street come drop his money off and, and do their business you know what i'm saying so, yeah <laughs> right so um 
But when you're hearing his records, are you knowing it's him? Like or? absolutely, because right mm -hmm. before I knew that my dad was a street guy, um, people would go crazy when they would play him on WBKO. They would just go nuts, like your dad's on the radio. Your dad's on the radio, and then he did the go. I don't know if y'all remember Goldenberg, Goldenberg Chicken. He did the jingles for all of them. Oh, word. Yeah, yeah, that's my dad fire. did the jingles for all of those. So then when the commercial would come with my grandma, I'm like, that's your dad, that's your dad. And I would just get this warm feeling inside, like, that I'm important, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like I'm a part of something. Yeah. Did, um, did you ever have any of his vinyls from, like, like... They were always laying around, and, and, and vinyls were just so accessible that we put no value on them. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, oh, this is my daddy's record. It wasn't like... Ooh, this this heart angel heart would come out, but yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it was like, oh, that's my dad's. What well, uh, what label was they on? Um, Al, it was Al Recordings or something like that. Al mm. So I don't even think it was a label. It was just Al pressed them up. He pressed up. He pressed up like two thousand <laughs> copies from Al Recordings, right. and that was it. So he was a hand. This was before E Forty and Too Short. He was, you know, selling albums out the trunk. <laughs> I, 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 know that. I didn't know that part. Yeah, I, I always wonder, like when I see the, you know, the the last name, I always like, oh, you know, now, now, obviously, you know, we do our research because you've been sampled by Kanye, Kanye, Jay Electronica, Jay Electronica. Ross, yeah, a lot of people, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Shotty sampled him for Styling <clears throat> for Boomin. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So <clears throat> let me take you back a little bit. Okay. How did radio? How did radio in Columbus like? you know, musically? Was it like you in tune with the radio here? And like, like how did like MTV, your MTV raps and Rap City, like how did that influence you? Or if it did have an influence on you? Absolutely, man. That stuff didn't come out till way later. So a lot of times, um, being that I was in between my uncle's house and my dad's house uh, on Linwood and Mount Pleasant, that's all they did was put us in front of the TV. So, you know what I'm saying? He was your babysitter. He was my babysitter. But yeah, all we did was the music channel. The, all we had was on BET. It was either on BET or MTV. Yeah. But BET only played music videos periodically. Yeah. So They had a lot of shows. Um, I remember, I mean, obviously, remember video So Yeah. And then Caribbean, uh, what was it? Caribbean something. Uh, with, um, uh, I can't, uh, Rachel, Caribbean uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Island vibes or something like that. Island Island vibes or something like that. Like yeah, yeah, something crazy. Yeah. But the thing that jumped out at me is that we, because we watched MTV so much, that we were more in tune with the white bands. Mm. Oh the, yeah, the Metallica's, the ACDCs, because that's all the David Bowie's. Yeah, but what Guns we, and Roses, all the yeah. hair bands. <laughs> but what we found was there was soul even in that. Like let's dance, dun, dun. classic. I mean, but but the, we we found that the black people were rocking to these too, right? Yep. So the 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 one record that hit me that I never forget it. My uncle Doug went to CD record and tape outlet, and he brought back Queen, another one bites the dust. Mm. He brought back to the neighborhood, Brittany. Freddie Mercury, one of my favorite, one of my favorites. Man, <laughs> so you, imagine me being only five or six years old, and I'm hearing this bass line, do 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 do. So I'm like thinking these guys are black. Yeah. I'm thinking that they're black guys, and and the way Freddie Mercury had so much soul. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a black guy. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. I'm watching um Casey Kasem the the the, the video countdown. This was well before video countdown was supposed to get yeah, top forty USA top forty. Yeah, Casey Kasem. He was like, it's hey, still come on, bro. For like, real? Like on Sundays. Um, I had to get you the station. I had the station on my on my, on my uh, vintage 
Um, stereo. Um, Sundays, 8 to 11, they'll pick a year. It'll be like the 1987 top 40 countdown. Yeah. Right? And they play, bro. I, I still listen to Casey Casey. So when they say, you know what I'm saying, the number one song for this week is Queen of Love Bites doesn't show the video. <laughs> oh, these dudes is white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you said that your uh, people used to go to the CD and tape outlet. What was the first piece of music you bought with your own music? Okay, so this was okay. I mean, with your own money. Okay, so this was, and it was a tape. Uh, this was 1986, and they said it was coming. They said LL Cool J, Bigger and Deffer is coming. <laughs> right. It's coming. I mean, so basically, and it was right before the summer hit. It was right before the summer hit, and I had never bought any type of music before. And for whatever reason, I was I was a little candy hustler then. I never sold dope or nothing like that, but I used to flip my candy real good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was the, the, the walking convenience yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad candy bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You needed, I got a little Debbie's in the back back. So, you know, I, I never was bold enough to sell drugs, but I would definitely flip that candy. Yeah. And I made a nice little bag off of that. That's I made like funny. $50 a week. Hey, <laughs> I get how you get it. Yeah, exactly. So, I had my little money, and they was like, nobody had it yet. You know what I'm saying? I think it released the day before. But nobody had it. And I said, I'm going to be the first one in my school to have it. So i never forget that bell rang 2.30. I ran. I ran from Woodward Park all the way to Columbus Emporium. And if y'all don't know, that's a hike. <laughs> from Car Road all the way to uh, 161 in Cleveland Avenue, that was a hike. Yeah, that is a little. But I was hauling ass to that CD record tape outlet. Put my little uh, $7.99 up on the thing. Got that tape. Bumped it in my neighborhood at that time. You know, we were still carrying around the, the boom boxes. The boom boxes. So <laughs> bumped sure. it around there. But where I started living is that I had a second home in Cleveland, Ohio. Shout out to. Uh, where? I didn't know that. I'm not Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sorry. <laughs> Springfield, Ohio. Springfield, Ohio. So shout out to little Johnny Stevens. Y'all know him now. He's John Legend, TW. <laughs> all, those, all those people. I went to Springfield. And that's where they didn't really have access until that's when, you know, things were really slow. We ain't got the internet. Yeah, so I'm yeah. from North Ohio. Trust me. I got everything secondhand from Columbus. <laughs> yeah. I know. I so know. we had everything first. So naturally, me taking out to Springfield, I was the man. But the, what happened was, this is this is a true story. <laughs> I'm only 12 years old. And this is the first time I'm taking this tape to Springfield at the time. I'd never seen DJ in live. Mm. I'd never seen it. Shout out to all the pains, uh, Leon and all those guys that I stayed at y'all's house in Springfield. They were five years older than me. So for whatever reason, that Saturday, somebody set up in their back porch, two turntables, two speakers, and I'm seeing them just cut up different things. Um, go see the doctor, Skeezer, Makumo D and all that. And I'm seeing this cut up live. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? But somebody said, hey, yo, he got that new LL tape. And they was like, let me get that little man. So, yeah, I got bullied out of my little tape. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. I never got it back. But at the end of the day, they showed me love for, for at least bringing that to Springfield. So I think I was the first one to bring Bigger and Deffer to Springfield, Ohio. <laughs> that's, that's fire, yeah. Bigger and Deffer. What was your joint off Bigger and Deffer? Um... But my rhyme ain't done. But my rhyme ain't done. <laughs> but my rhyme ain't done. That was my joint. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Bigger and definitely. Like anything Def Jam from, from that era, you know, was 
you just thought they were superheroes. That's the way I looked at it. Yeah, how was the Jordan? I mean, they, I mean, you gotta understand they were fashion forward. So he had the Jordan sitting on top of the beam, I think. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole jumpsuit. That was man. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a kid, uh, kid playing some Jordans. They had yeah. the Jordan threes on. I remember seeing uh, the My Philosophy video. Yeah, oh, man, shout out to Dapper Dan. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> definitely. So. <clears throat> When did uh, Forest Park become, uh, you know what I'm saying, come oh. into play? Because, oh. you know, I always hear you rep Forest Park, and it's funny because, you know, like, uh, you know, when I was recording with the third and with Rashad, all them, you know, they all from Forest Park, shout out to PA, shout out to Cole, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Wow. So when did uh, Forest Park come into play? Forest Park came into play. Uh, me and my two brothers were abducted in broad daylight. We lived in the short north. <laughs> Wait, you can't just skip <laughs> Broad daylight. You can't skip over that. What? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> my father had uh, done it. Uh, he was only in prison for about six months. And you know when you moving, you moving stuff around. Yeah, I, know, I just hit you with bugged out. Yeah, I know, right? I just hit you with something. You know, you you live through it. Life, man. Yeah, we talk about it off mic. Life. Yeah, you live through it. So you know, um, they thought uh, it was a real uh, painful type of situation. They thought that he had some money and still out there, and they uh, coerced me and my two little brothers to get in the car, um, took us somewhere to undisclosed location, threw us in the basement. You know what I'm saying? We hear nah. This is a true ass story. I mean, you would think I've lived a life, brother. You know. <laughs> so um, yeah, we hear him upstairs, um, going back and forth like, yeah, you know what I'm saying. We need this amount of money and this, that, and the other. My dad's in prison, so they don't know where nothing is. Everybody like, yeah. I mean, this is in vain. So um, you know, um, I, I will say this one part. Now I, I talk in prisons all over Ohio. And one part that makes even inmates cry is where we're in the back seat. And my brother was like, he looks at me and he says, uh, Delaney, we going to die today. Mm. And I'm like, so, uh, angel, it felt like something was like holding us. Mm. And I just looked at him with the most shortest look in my eye. And I was like, nah, we, 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 we going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? So uh, to make a long story short is that we were in this uh, black basement, no lights and everything like that. And as the light comes on about three or four hours later, we're like, okay, here we go. We, we don't know what's going to happen. And the light comes on, and down the steps, we see these black boots. And when I seen that white shirt and there was a cop, man, I knew we was going to be all right. So from that point, they took us to Franklin County Children's Services. Now, the worst day of my life was being separated from my brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, Sean and them had to go on Oakwood. Sean and Aries had to go on Oakwood. And my grandmother, at first, she was scrambling, trying to get housing for us because they were like, why are these kids in a drug-infested house? Why are these kids around prostitution all the time? Why are they? And where's the father at? He's in prison. So she had to scramble. The first place, this is why I know God had his hands on me. The first place that we were proved for, for was Windsor Terrace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was out the fire pan into the fire. You yeah, know what I'm saying? On the short there. north. Yeah. So we got passed up on that. She said, no, nah, I'm not going to raise him there. And so uh, Ivywood Apartments was the second thing. And she just happened by way of a conversation, got approved for that home. And then we went up to Ivywood. So that's that's my introduction to Uptown. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, and that led to you going to Northland? That, you you right on time. You right on time. Yeah, okay. we, yeah that's, that's what led me going to Northland. Absolutely. Man, there's so many talented people that come out of Northland. I always think about that, you know. 
again, shout out to the third, shout out to Fly Union, <laughs> shout out to Blaze. Like, <laughs> so, so, so many times the people come out of Northwood. So, when did you start? I know you started, you said you started rapping, um, but when did you start uh, getting like DJ equipment and stuff? All right, so um, how I, this was summer of tw- 2002. No, good. And um, what ended up happening was my music wasn't moving the way I wanted it to. I wasn't the producers that I was working with, you know, no disrespect, but y'all was jerking me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> y'all was taking my money and jerking me and giving half ass work back. So I was just frustrated how my career was going as a rapper. And uh, so, uh, shout out to Corey Winborn. Y'all know him, designed by Winborn. That's my best absolutely. friend. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. His his uh, wife at the time worked uh, as a uh, promotions <clears throat> director at Power. And so she was like, well, in order to learn how the business, you might want to come up here to the radio station. This is our only way that you're kind of going to learn the yes, business. Yes, so, there really wasn't no manual. Like. How to do it, right? <laughs> so um, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke that... Um, they even wanted me. So they said, come in and board out for a little bit, for a little bit. Just board out, see how you like it. That didn't happen right away. They sent me to Kings Island to interview Fred Hammond. So this is my first introduction to anything. I'm nervous as I don't know what. Bro, I was like, my first interview, shout out to Bobby Kane, shout out to Ozark. My first interview was MC Light. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so you starting here. Yeah. The sky is the limit at yeah, this point. I'm so like, oh, shit. my oh, first yeah. interview is Fred Hammond. So I'm like, oh, out the gate. This is what I'm doing. So um, the, the interview went decent. I was nervous. You can hear my voice shaking yeah. and everything like that. But you know, you got to you got to get that out the way. But this is what led to Sunday nights. And this is what um, I'm, I'm glad we write on course. Um, I'm board hopping for Joy 106.3 Gospel Station. You know mm. what I'm saying? And this is Sunday. This is every Sunday. And what ends up happening is I'm bored. But at around 7 o'clock at night, I'm hearing all this noise coming down the hallway. This is when we was on Grandview. Mm. All this noise coming down the hallway. So just curiosity got the best of me one Sunday. And I just walked down this hallway. And it, it was like a movie. It was a long-ass hallway. I opened up the door. When I open up the door, here's Mixmaster Ice <laughs> <laughs> cutting up live Jesus on radio. Christ, that has to be like, uh, yeah, that was the eye <laughs> moment. That was the hardest and everything. But I was so nervous that I thought my eyes and ears was deceiving me. I like a like a child. I close the door and I run down the hallway like, nah, I did not just see that. I did not just see that. Yeah, bug him out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I come down the hallway one more time. And he's laughing at this point, you know what I'm saying? So he, he's used to it. This is a mixed master. He, yeah. So he says, come on in. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Come on in, sit down, and have, have a seat. So Kanata's there. Mixed master Ice is there. And they let me stay the whole show. Kanata says, come back. You know what I'm saying? Come back anytime. Shout out to Kanata, man. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I don't. I don't. I don't come back for three weeks. You know what I'm saying? And this is why I know when something is planned for you. It's it, going to happen. It's going to happen regardless. Kanata catches up to me at a party somewhere. It's like, bro, I told you to come back. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I didn't know for real. So at that point, um, we're doing the show. The, the next Sunday I come back, we're doing the show. And about an hour in, Kanata turns the mic over to me. So I don't know what the hell he's doing. He mm-hmm. turns the mic around, pushes that red button, and just starts talking. Bruh, I'm just sitting there like, 
What? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I think the first thing I said was, my name is Lane from Uptown. And that was it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so from, yeah, so from there, he uh, he wanted me to do shout-outs for, for the show. And that's how I became the third member of the Ocean Racing Party. Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait. <laughs> so what was it like? So what was y'all environment like? You know, um, Kanata, Mixed Match for Ice. These is like season you know, veterans and you, the new guy, like, what was the environment like? Like, what was the chemistry like and how did that, all that work out? I was baby brother. I was, ba- you know, because I'm older than Kanata. I was still baby brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, that was what it was. It was. I was there to learn. I was there to learn and go to school. You know what I'm saying? I was from there. I had to learn cadence on the mic. Mm-hmm. I had to learn, you know, what the hell you talking about? Um, I tell people for the longest time, I wrote every break down. I didn't freestyle any break. Anything that I and I had to write these breaks down in between the songs mm. to make sure that I didn't mess up the liners. You know, yeah. so for eight years, that's all I did because I didn't trust myself to talk off, off, the the dome, off the dome. Um, but it was school. It was really school just to sit up there and learn how to mix live on the air, what he was doing and all, all that. So let's really get a little cool. let's get a little bit technical. How important is mic presence? Um, it's so dope because that really controls the room. It, yeah. it really, I learned this from JG the Juggernaut, and he basically said, he, he a rapper, right? He's a poet. Poet, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, poet. yeah, okay, yeah. He said, the reason why uh, performers are so magnetic is because it's something about a black man when he asserts his voice. It's powerful, you know what I'm saying? So if you can perfect that, you can command the room. Uh, if you can have the right voice and the right cadence, man, you can get anybody to do anything, like a Malcolm X or Martin Luther King. Yeah, I always, um, I always hear like comedians take like prominent speaker style and incorporate it in their jokes, but that's how they control the room. Like, yeah, Chris Rock sounds like a a, a teacher or a preacher mm-hmm. or something. The way he talks, you know, what I'm saying? yeah, the way Richard Pryor. Whole, whole words to make you pay attention, you know. Mm-hmm. It's always like little tricks. Bernie Mac was like your your funny uncle. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that whole so. court of the failure reunion. Yeah. So you working with Ice? You working with Kanata? Mm-hmm. The Ice let you touch the tables a little bit. Nah, I was not ready. <laughs> I was not ready. So, so but are, are you recognizing like this is Mixed Master Ice? You CFO? Absolutely. Shout yeah. out to Alfonso Grant, who y'all y'all know that's my brother as well. So, uh, he's one of the biggest promoters here in Columbus, Ohio. But yeah, he that was my that was I think on my second experience of seeing him cut up. Uh, friends and all that stuff like that yeah. in his room. So okay. yeah, uh, he would have posters of mixed match. Okay, so so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but he wouldn't let you touch the table. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and and what, at the same time, as the funny thing is, at the same time that this is happening, um, a guy from Brooklyn, New York, by the name of DJ Styles, he's a Jamaican DJ. Him and Von Roy G used to hold court a lot in these Caribbean clubs. Shout out to Von Roy G. Yeah. So he was from <laughs> Brooklyn, and for some reason, we befriended each other. And he said, listen, I'm about to move into the short north, and I don't know what the temperature's like. Can I, ho- can I put my DJ equipment at your house so I don't get robbed? All right. And he said, I just don't want them to see me bringing this in my apartment. So I said, yeah, sure. Man, he gives me the equipment. He doesn't come back for like a month and a half. 
So I got this stuff, and you know, curiosity just gets the best of you. Boy, we're about to go crazy. Listen, listen. So I'm tinkering, and I'm trying to, you know, and I got the wires going all kind of crazy. I'm not doing anything. It ain't no YouTube at the time. You know what I'm right. saying? Ain't no <laughs> so I got to figure this stuff out, you know what I'm saying, firsthand or what have you. Um, but I, I, I got it just enough to where I can get the sound going. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't a dope mixer yet, but I could still try to cut and stuff like that. And uh, when he comes back, he was like, you know, uh, I'm here to get my stuff. So I bring him down to my basement, and he looked at the wires. He's like, come on, man, let me show you how to do this for real. So, yeah, Style showed me how to hook up the mixer and hey. like that, yeah. Do you remember the, the first, like, records that you were scratching with or trying to play or trying to bring back? Um, yeah, so it was uh, Candy Rain, and I would take the acapella part of Slick Rick's Lottie Dottie. And somehow or another, it was like, ma, we like the party. And I would just cut it up. We like the party. You know what I'm saying? And this was well before I did it 20 years later with Beyonce. Is we like the party. So, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, did you ever, like, keep his equipment or did you... Did he come back and get it eventually and you had to get your own? Like, what was the process to getting your own? So the process to get my own was I never still took it seriously. I was just like, oh, this was just a fun pastime for me. Yeah. And then so one day, Corey is down in my basement. And at that point, I'm getting sick of music. I'm, I'm done writing at this time. I'm just bored with it. and But I'm still collecting music. Hope, parentheses, getting inspiration. <laughs> I'm not getting inspiration. I'm just listening to music. Yeah. Right? So it starts stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking. And Corey was like, well, you got all this music, man. Somebody got a wedding over here, and you got these speakers. He was like, can you can you just play music for him? So I'm like, <laughs> and he, like no, he didn't say DJ. He was like, yeah, just, play some music. just play some music for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't really want a DJ. That was one of them bootleg-ass weddings. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I'm sorry. If you remember me from DJ, <laughs> it <laughs> wasn't really elaborate. Just start wedding. I know. life, I call it bootleg. But nah. It was just they needed some music played, but my selection of music and in and how I arranged it, you know, I DJ my first wedding with an eight disc CD changer. Oh yeah, you no trick. You were going crazy. No, <laughs> eight discs. Eight no. discs, and the song had to stop and then go to the next yeah, song. You, you know, what I'm it wasn't even like <laughs> a dope mix. The song had to stop, but still, I knew what to play and when to play it, and from there, my aunts happened to be there. So this is, I'm about to take you into this story. Let's go. My aunts had happened to be there, and my Aunt Gertrude hired me for my my next DJ gig. Right. Yeah, my Aunt Gertrude, right? So then from there, my Aunt Carmel hires me to do something. From there, I had another aunt. Mm. So you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> All my aunts would employ me. They, they would be like, hands down, they didn't care what kind of equipment I was yeah. on. They was like, I want Lane to DJ. You know what I'm saying? So from that point, I became your auntie's favorite DJ. <laughs> so when, what, like, what was the nightclub scene when you finally got out there? What was that like? What, like oh, man. What, around what year was that? And what was the nightclub like? What was the vibe? Okay, so I didn't hit the nightlife. Shout out to O-Sharp. Oh, um, shout out to O'Sharp. Shout out to DJ O'Sharp because he knew that I had got burned in the gospel arena. And this was the time, this was about 2010, everybody was getting caught cheating on their wife. 
everybody. And I'm not gonna name no names. These were some prolific pastors, and everybody was cheating on their wife. Hey, the flesh is weak. Yeah, yeah. But but at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's more heightened when you're a man of the cloth. I mean, people do it, but when you're a man of the cloth, it's like yo. So at that time, I was just like, I was seeing all the hypocrisy, but I was I wasn't. I wasn't calling nobody on it. I was just like, man, come on, man. I'm, I'm done with this. And oh, seen it. And he said, man, he was like, now you've done this for 12 plus years. Let me show you the other side of this. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so O took me everywhere. When I say everywhere, he took me to shout the Republic. Uh, that's where I first seen Crate Digger. He took me to the Redo. Yeah. Uh, uh, I had already seen um, Rich Nice do Icebreakers and yeah. all that. I he, got cold. Yeah. All right, I saw that. Yeah. We... So, but so, but but the funny thing was, let me take you back three years, four years prior. Aunt Carmel had hired me to do the the Martin Luther King Galas. Mm, so, so on the flyer, it would be. DJ Lane Love and the Usual Suspects. So they thought that I was a part of them, but yeah. I never was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then when I had to fall out with the church, O just said, let me let me teach you. So um, i never forget it. Uh, o took me down in the basement one day. And I, I don't know if you were there or not. I might have been. You might have been there. <laughs> I've been a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> but when I get down there, I see Brooklyn the Butcher. Oh, yeah. I see Crate Digger. Shout out to Stan. Shout out to Crate. DJ Durrell. Shout out to Durrell. Rich Nice. Big T. All of the, the illest DJs possible are in this basement. And I am, like I said, I'm the Black Force Club. I am <laughs> in this meeting of the master plan of DPS radio. Yeah. You know? yeah. I walk in. I mean, O takes me to this meeting. And they're talking about how what they're going to do. They, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And Lane, you want to be a part of it. Now, I don't. I've been on CDJs this entire time. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, but these are all vinyl DJs. So it was like, yes. you know, in order to be a part of this creed, you have to learn how to, you know what I'm saying, do both. So that was the the arrangement of bringing me into that world. But yeah, that's how I, I end up at the clubs. That's that's fire. Like, yeah, DPS. So I was, I was trying to think of it because I knew, you know, I know it started out as DPS and then it went to Pulse and then you did the Uptown thing. So let's uh, take me... Take me to the beginning of Uptown Media, you know, and the Uptown DJs, and you know, I know uh, some other DJ crews you with. Yeah. Um, take me to the beginnings of that because, you know, I always thought it was funny that Columbus people called the North Side Uptown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, just because in my in my you know. My uptown is Harlem, you right. know, New York, yeah. more more so than uh, than Columbus. But always, um, you know, I always thought it was funny, but I always thought it was dope too. So take me to up, uptown media and how that all started. And and no disrespect, um, every part of the north, north Side is not uptown. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. Let's be clear. If we going to do this. Listen, if you, <laughs> there is a Columbus North Side, and then there's Uptown. Uptown okay. is Forest Park. If you are not from Forest Park, you are not from Uptown. <laughs> Period. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm about New York shit, right? <laughs> so, if you if you're not part of Forest Park, you can't claim Uptown. Just claim the North Side, and we'll be good. We'll be Gucci. You know what I mean? But that was um, and the reason being is that. Um, 
I take you back to 1988, the most illest time in in hip hop history. But that's they, what you had the 30 years ago page for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. 88, 88 introduced me to hip hip hop in a different way. I was introduced to hip hop in 1983 when I saw my brother Tony get on the floor and spin on his back. So that that's what fascinated me. But 88 was different because that was the year of the hustler. That was the first year I seen what selling crack could really do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As far as seeing young boys coming out with fresh crispy Air Force Ones and uh, and the threes. Yeah. They had the threes Three, out. Lady, yeah. And and I'm seeing gold chains and stuff like that. And I ain't never seen young boys with this kind of shit before. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Definitely the pay them full air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm seeing and, and I'm seeing them pulling up the cars, kitted out, uh tenant windows, names on the back and shit like that. And I'm like, where are y'all getting this money from? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but there was this crew. They didn't sell drugs. And I'm I'm gonna go on record that maybe a couple of them, but the majority of them they didn't sell drugs, but they still look like the, the D boys. The and um they called themselves Uptown. The Uptown crew, and they were basketball players. Mm. But they were my idols because guess what? They all lived in Ivywood apartments. They all did. So I looked up to these guys. These guys are four or five years my senior, yeah. but they smooth and all the girls loving them and everything like that. And that's so impressionable. Yeah, that's, that's impressionable. So naturally not being able to be a part of that because I'm too young, it still stayed with me like that's what I want to be a part of. Right. So that always... Resonated yeah, well before years. I knew about Harlem and everything, I knew about Quinn, Chael, Daryl Finley, Steve Mix. I'm shouting all y'all out, baby. You know what it is. Right. So, um, you start with DPS and then you start Uptown Media, or you just started doing your own thing with Uptown Media? DJ O Sharp and Rich Nice said you got a show on Saturday afternoon from uh, 2 to 2 to 4. What you going to call the name of your show? We were in the continent at the time. Continent, shout out to the continent for sure. I mean, and even though it's still kind of not in Forest Park, it was close proximity, right across the street. <laughs> so it was like uptown with Lane Love. So in order to get an interview with me, you had to come uptown. So that was mm-hmm. the thing. Is like anytime I booked somebody for a show, it was like it always started out. Guess who's coming uptown? That's uh, how the show right, started. Right, right. <laughs> um, because uh, again, when I talked to Jama, he talked about how he got to start with you yeah. in uptown media, and you know. Uh, DJing on the show and um, said Dami was with you, you know, Dami would come through. Yeah. Um, am I guessing like a tour? Well, let me, maybe? Yeah. Or, okay, so. So shout them all out. Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and explain it to me because I, like, I was around, but, you know, I was more on the DPS side than the. So I, I definitely want to tell Jameis' story. Um, so what ended up happening was Uptown with Lane Love was too long. Uh, of a name because Couture came on before me. She okay. she was the 12 to 2 slot. I mean, and shout out, first of all, before I even get into that, shout out to Rich Nice, who kept programming like a real radio station. He did not play. You had to start on time. You had to end on time. So you had to end 15 minutes earlier or at least be ending your show 15 minutes earlier before anything. Now, Couture would sometimes record, whatever. But I would would listen to the show. We were all avid listeners of the show. And she was like, well, coming up next is the Uptown show. So she wouldn't say Uptown with Layla. Mm -hmm. Coming up next is the Uptown show. So from that point, King Seven would come after me. My Rest- brother. Yeah, I yeah. Said, Jeez, I miss him so much, man. <laughs> that, and, and what I, what I loved about Saturday is like we put pressure on the weekly people's necks. Corn, Monday Night Mashup, DJ Osha. We put pressure yeah. because our shows, 
even though they weren't the flagship shows, they were good shows. You know what I'm saying? Very good. Very good structure. Um, you know, uh, it's funny with, uh, with DPS and Pulse Radio, that was really the, um, the genesis of the B-side, which led into what we're talking about. Because yeah. Rich wanted me to do a live show, and my whole thing was like, "Now nah, I want to do a podcast." Like, my whole thing was like, "I wanted people to listen at one p.m. and I wanted people to listen at one a.m." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, he was like, well, "Fuck it, let's just do a podcast then." And that's how the B side became. Yeah, I remember B-side, that. So yeah. Now the, the one thing was is that um, Jama had just started doing something with the Moon Shooters, and. Um, of course, I'm big cuz. I'm big cuz to all of them. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I was the first one on the radio and doing all this before, well before they became who they were. Yeah. It was like, if you wanted to know something about the music business, go ask big cuz. So that's what I was. So um, he was like, can I just come in and sit with you? And I was like, sure. At the same time, I'm befriending uh, a, a, a young lady by the name of Vita Michelle. And she Shout out to Vita. Yeah. Crazy with the band. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy with the band. Super talented. She's working with Yogi at Flypaper, but... She said, hey, I just want to come in and interview you. So even though there's mixed emotions on how she got to know the usual suspects, I remember the conversation vividly. And I said, hey, guys, I got an interview going with this uh, lady from Flypaper, but I put her on to y'all and she wants to interview everybody. So that's how that kind of union came about. She sits in on a couple of shows and she said, hey, can I come back? She never leaves. Now she's a news person, so I'm like, let me put you to work. Shit, if you gonna, you gonna be here, you might as well work. You ain't gonna sit over here and look at me mix. So before Vita got there, it was just nothing but mixing for two hours. It was no kind of structure or anything. Vita, I would, I would. So once Vita's there, I would spend for 15 minutes. Vita would come with gossip. 15 minutes. Spend for 45 minutes. Vita would come with news, and then we would do our closeout. James was just sitting there, right? But at the time. Nobody's fucking with me. Nobody's fucking with me but DJs. And why? Because DJs are coming up to DPS all the time. And it's like a hangout. Yeah. It's just like a hangout. It was a, it was a spot to be. Yeah. It was a spot to be. So I'm like, all right, if y'all in the in the in the in the building, you want to sit in. So people would just come in randomly. So the first people that came in randomly was Tony Parham, uh, Primitive Sound Lab, and DJ Bombay. Uh, he goes by Bombero now. So, <laughs> Beardo. <laughs> and, and so them hanging out, I said, well, let me do a quick mix and l- l- let me let y'all go. So now it's forming. But at the same time, Jamin's not ready. I know from even my year with O and everybody, I'm like, he's not ready. Yet. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I, I tell him, hey, you have to sit here for a year and soak it up. Soak up radio, soak up mixing, soak up everything. So during that time, I don't even realize I'm taking him to school. So in comes DJ Prime, DJ Bombay. Legends. All Mixmaster Ice, Boogie, Dami Styles. I'm having special DJ guests. This is well before I started putting artists on. Mm-hmm. So for almost a year, it's nothing but DJs. But guess what? I'm going to school too. So while, and, and here's where I sharpen my iron. Let me go first. Let me put the pressure down. And some some of them did fold. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I was I was getting I was getting good. So um but but the day that DJ Drastic came in, oh I wanted to fold up my shit yeah. like <laughs> that's a different level. You yeah. know? Respect the drastic. Yeah, when he came in, I wanted to fold up my shit. 
Um, but during that time, Jama was getting it. He was getting it. And so, therefore, from that point, once we moved out to Main Street, he just started soaking up the game from different people. Yeah. And that is why he is who he is, because he was a definitely an avid student and always willing to learn and always willing to work hard. Jama out of here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he done. He done. <laughs> Legendary guy. So, um, back to Uptown Media, like, just just, just for, for the record, name drop some artists that you interviewed. I mean, man. I let me let me take you back just real quick. Yeah, do what you do. Um, shout out to Kendall Taylor because I think this is what set everything off. In 1993, Russell Simmons let me in this guy into a party, and that's where I met a young puppy. <laughs> yeah. See, these are the stories like I want, like you just you jumping around, yeah, like. <laughs> Like, how you meet Puff in 93, dog? All right, so uh, I tell this story all the time, but let me let me tell you how this all went down. And, it, and it, this is why I, I knew I had to come on the show to do this. So in 93, um, we're in New York for Fleet Week, right? And um, the ship just drops us off in the middle of downtown. I'm not downtown, but in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. We're in the middle of Manhattan, don't know where to go or whatever, but we just got on these ice cream suits and we like, so it's about eight of us. But one of the guys is from New York. And guess what? He's from Mount Vernon. Uh, I'm, money I'm, earning. <laughs> money earning. So we're going somewhere with this. Yeah. So he's from Mount Vernon, and he looks at the on the, on the corner Forty Second Street. And he's looking. He was like, "Yo, Eddie." So I'm like, "I don't know who Eddie is," but then I'm looking. I'm like, "Eddie, yeah." I know who this guy is. He's from the Heavy <laughs> D videos. He's like Eddie. So they chopping it up or whatever. And um, Eddie Eddie F was like, "Yo, come around the corner. We have a party or whatever." And you know, what I'm saying. Y'all can get in. I mean, sweet, yeah. y'all, y'all good. So we get around. We, we, we fuck around for about an hour, and then we head to the party. But at the time, we're just hanging outside. Then we see a red velvet rope come up. Now we can't get in. If we had yeah. went straight in, then now we can't get in. So now, Black Lexus pulls up. Pete Rock and CL Smooth jump out. We like, oh, oh shit. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So, Look like soul, brother. Yeah, so a, a black Honda, Honda Passport pulls up. Lord Jamal, Sadat X. <laughs> <laughs> Jump out. So like, what the Yeah, fuck? I would have been bugging out. <laughs> so we're like, what the fuck is going on? A white Lexus pulls up. Queen Latifah and Tretch jump out. Jersey and the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we like, oh, we gotta get in this party. So, you know, after um so many cars pull up, EPMD, and they're with Illegal at that time. I don't know if y'all remember Lord Jamal, they were with a, a little group called Illegal. They jump out. So we like, man, we got to get into this party. White Land Cruiser uh, comes up. It's heavy. Tribe Called Quest. All this, right? So we like, yo, um, we got to get in this thing. You know, we got to get in. Oh, <laughs> I, I was bugging out. So um, here's, 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 I, I, I will tell a quick full circle story. A full circle story. 1985, the Fresh Fest comes to Columbus, Ohio. And I begged my grandmother for tickets. She can't give me tickets because Run DMC is still my number one, my number one rap group, period. I got the Adidas on right now. You know what I'm saying? It's my number one rap group. It will always be. So I, I don't get to go. And I literally cried because I can't go, right? Um, I don't remember what kind of truck it was, but a, a, a truck pulls up. DMC jumps out. He walks straight up to me and daps me. 
I'm like, yo, <laughs> yo. Now I got a disposable camera, no flash in it, but I'm having people say, I wish that photo developed. It never did, but I just got the memory in my head. But guess who's DJing warming up for K Capri? Run. Oh, I mean, because that's what he is. Yeah, Run is warming up for Kid Capri. Kid Capri's not there yet. DJ Run. So one comes out while he's politicking with us. I'm like, yo, D, what you doing? Get up in here. You know what I'm saying? Get the hell up in here. We, we got something going on. So I'm looking at Run like, yo, this is, they're right in front of me. Like, yeah. yo. Now, Run, he's occupied trying to get back to the to the booth. So I don't get to chop it up with him, but. Just the fact that DMC took a picture with us and all that, so full circle. Fire. So anything, they go back in. We're still trying to get in. So at the end of the day, and I, I'm going to wrap this up. So, <laughs> I, so I'm looking, I'm like, I see, I see a light, a bright light come on. Now, I don't know, 20 years later, this is Ralph McDaniels. Oh, shit. <laughs> Interviewing Russell Simmons. Your boy, DJ Lane Love, interrupts an interview. Did you? Yes. Because I'm calling Russell's name like, Russell! <laughs> Russell! True story indeed. Shout out to Ralph Russell! Ralph. So he cuts the interview with Ralph, and he comes out, he's like, how can I help y'all? Like, what's going on? I'm like, Eddie had told us we can get into this party, and we try to get into this party. Russell disappears for about five minutes. He comes back with the program director or the manager or whatever. He's like, and with that list, we were like, look, say, as long as y'all sailors don't start fights. We'll let y'all in. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We get in there. First person I see, Heavy D. I dap up Q- Q-tip. <laughs> I dap up Q-tip, right? And I poly with Greg Nice and, and Smooth B at the bar. Uh, now, this yeah. is that, 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 I, I, I got to finish this. That's hip-hop, man. That's hip-hop. <laughs> so we, it's showtime. Q-tip introduces these five bald-headed guys from Queens. They call Onyx. Never met the, never knew what, but they ripped the stage. This is what I first seen Slam Dancing was about. Mm-hmm. Buster Rhymes hit the stage. I danced with Nikki D that night. <laughs> <laughs> I danced with Nikki D, but upstairs, my man Kendall, he's he's from Chicago, but he knows a lot of people. We're sitting at this table, and there's this young dark skinned guy. You know what I'm saying? That he was like, "Yo, my name is Sean," and he was like, "I got these artists coming out. One is." Um, he went by uh, Biggie Smalls. He didn't go by no toy. Yeah. He said, I got this artist uh, named Biggie Smalls coming out. And um, this is 93. So I. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 His, so he's not even real with bad boy yet. And he said, I got Craig Mack. One year later, Juicy and Flavor and Year come out. And we remember, like, that's Sean. You know that? right. So um, at the end of the day, to make that long story short, we pinched ourselves and said, we have to get back here. Somehow, some way, we have to get back here because the feeling was so electric. And that was the precursor to the interviews, to being in media, to being in everything. Because sometimes it takes years for things to manifest. Oh, absolutely. And once we pinched ourselves, this is why I'm here. Because of that night. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> that is a long ass full circle. Yeah, that, that, nah, that but it is. makes sense, you know. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Like being influenced because with hip hop, the way I always look at it is like, man, we still being influenced from hip hop, like you said, from '88 to from you know '83 to you know what I'm saying whatever. We still being influenced, but what what would you say is a pivotal moment in your DJ career? Like, was it like? Like, 
where you where you was like, man, I don't want to DJ no more, or I'm gonna just fight through it. Like, what was it like a pivotal moment where you know what I'm saying? Man, you see my head just <laughs> bowed down. Um, it was the producer set Scarlet and Gray Cafe redo. The produ- everybody had a producer set. Mm-hmm. Now I was supposed to be. It was chaining day for me with the mm-hmm. usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Chaining day for me. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to do my whole Kanye West, whatever. And I had a Teddy Riley set. And this one, we were still in Serato, so we wasn't yeah. on all vinyl then. For whatever reason, right before while we're doing sound check, all of my crates just drop out of my computer. Still don't know to this day why it happened, how it happened, but everything is in disarray. You know what I'm saying? And I can't get my music to come up in my Serato. But I kind of remember the set list because I still have music in my 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 list. Yeah. But I, my crates are just all over the place. And so I was like, you got to go. You got to go. And I remember everybody being in that night because everybody kind of knew. They was trying to supposedly keep it a secret for me yeah. that it was training, training day. But... Um, I do it. I do the set, and I bomb. I bombed terribly. Yeah. Were you there that night? Uh, I think I might have been there. I think I might have been there. Yeah, I, I bombed terribly, and I remember just like a little kid in a talent show running off the stage, and uh, RB runs backstage, and he says, "Man, this is this is hip hop, man." You, you got to brush it off. He's like, by running back here, you're not going to prove anything. You got to go back out there. And so I, I went back out there and faced the people. And you know, like people want to tell you you did a good, good job or don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. But <laughs> you know you fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the suspects. They'd be like, ah, you, you fucked up, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Up, right? Uh, yeah. But, but you know what? They were the nicest ones about it. It was everybody else mm-hmm. in the crowd. They mm-hmm. was, oh, and Rich and everybody. It was cool. It was like, I mean, it's like you busted your cherry at that point. You, yeah. you had to take that L, but learn from it, you know. Um, but still, that was the, also the best night of my life because they could have just disregarded me. I was still chained uh, as a usual suspect, and that was the night I became a usual suspect. Yeah. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> so, like, what encouragement would you give to a, a DJ that bomb? Or, like, what would you say? Because I'm sure you've been around DJs that don't have dope sets, like, every night. Like, yeah. What 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 was your encouragement? Shout out! This these are my words. This is DJ Quick and Boogie's words. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> you, you need that L to feel that pain. Pain is a motivator. You know. <laughs> so why else would you not practice? Is not to feel that pain. So when you kill it, you prepare for that. Right. So let's get into some technical shit. Okay. Twelve hundreds or controllers or CDJs. For you personally, for me personally, honestly, twelve hundreds. Twelve hundreds. And 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 let me tell you, um, and and I'm glad that we're, we're being transparent here because before this podcast, you already got it. You already said life happens. Yeah. And so um, during the time I was really trying to be a vinyl DJ, uh, people don't realize that um, I was I was going through a crazy experience. I was going through a divorce. Uh, I lost my job, and a lot of things that happened. In order to be a vinyl DJ, you, it, it's expensive. It's it's, it it's, it's it's not cheap at all. And so, um, 
It is. <laughs> I, although O is trying to push me along, I don't have the resources. I'm just re- merely trying to survive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I can't afford vinyl. I can't afford a lot of stuff. And, you know, um, every once in a while, I'll hit a spurt and grab some vinyl here and there. But I just couldn't afford that particular hobby. Now, I wouldn't call it a hobby, but that lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's what I'm expensive. saying? But I always wanted it. Even now to this day, you know, I always wanted it. But I only could do what was best for me. You know what I'm saying? So when I still clutched the Pioneer, uh, I had Pioneer 800s and I moved to 1200s. And, um, of course, I've had the controllers and stuff like that. It was just to always make sure that my radio shows were flawless, that I wasn't learning on the air, that I wasn't learning on the fly. When I come out with, when, and I'm still, that day is still coming, when I really come out with 1200s, there's going to be a lot of man hours of practice and things of that nature. It's just that the stars really never lined up. Yeah. So, you know, I, a lot of a lot of DJs that I have on here, you know, everybody usually says 12s. Um, I practice on Dame's, DJ Dame's 12s. Yeah. But, um, as you see with the as the, with the rain one, like, yeah. This is like <laughs> this is like as far as I'm gonna go right now. Yeah. You know, I'm not buying twelves until I I buy a house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was my thing. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just not, so. I mean, it's been hell. Like trying to bounce back from everything that I, I lost, man. So that's that was my philosophy too. Is like when I really um, when I really start investing in the vinyl again, I'll have a basement and things of that nature to yeah. really go go forward. So how 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 would you describe your DJ style? You know my DJ style, man. My DJ style comes straight from Harlem, USA, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes straight from Harlem, USA. I am a party rock DJ. There are turntablists. I am not one of those people. I am a party rock DJ, which means that most of my work is on this here microphone right here. Yeah. Now, song selection is very key, and dropping that, that song where it's supposed to be is key as well. Um, people call us, you know, um, we... we we just drop songs, yeah. but there's a method slam a to record. it. Slamming records, we <laughs> slam records, but there's a method to slamming records. You know what I'm saying? You got to yeah. drop that thing on the one on time to where it doesn't sound messy. Yeah, shout out to DJ Beatbangers, man. Um, recently, like within the last two weeks, I literally asked him, "Show me how to slam records that make sense," and he went through like four or five records. Like this is this is how you do it, and you know he was explaining it to me. And it's something I took and put in my bag. Like, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cause, I mean, like, and I, I know, I, I know, it's like frowned upon and all. Like, but sometimes you just can't mix every record. I don't, I don't know why it's frowned upon because we're already telling you we're for the party. We're not here to impress you as a DJ. <laughs> we're here to when you we live for that. Ah, you know, what I'm saying? when yeah, you drop that yeah. one record, we live for that. So if I'm playing Candy Rain, um, don't don't. Boom, 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 boom. So this is like boxing. I'm softening you up. So you're the groove in the candy rain, but then when you hear that remix reel up, you live for that. So that's what kind of DJ I, I, I live for the screams. Where and I, I know you, uh, you know, slight flex, but you said you can call DJ Hollywood. Was how, how much was the influence? Was he? Is he? 
Man, um, before there was a Hollywood, I was a big uh, Kid Capri fan, and I'm okay. still, still am, still am. Yeah. But but Hollywood is my uncle. He calls me on a regular basis to see how I'm doing, just personal things. Hollywood invented party rock DJ. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, no doubt about it. He was the man that you know would play good times, but we'd be talking all over the mic and and just really like toasting, like. Party rock DJing is just an extension of toasting in Jamaica. If you ever went to a Jamaican party, you will not hear that record in its entirety. You hear, you know what I'm saying? You'll hear nothing but talking and screaming on the mic. So Hollywood taking that style and rapping over it, that's what developed a Brucey B, a Kid Capri, a me. (laughs) So um, how important is it to you to know different genres of music? You, You know, you just said Jamaican. Obviously, you know, you got your reggae, you got your rhythms, you know what I'm saying? R&B, obviously, yeah. you know, like, but how important is it for you to know different genres? I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and um, they were doubting my skills when it came to Chicago stepping music. Mm. And um, I said, no, I'm not a Chicago stepping DJ, but I bet you I can carry that shit for about two hours. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet you I can carry that shit for two hours, just because... I'm going to study it beforehand. I've rocked country weddings, like country and Western, and killed them shits. You know what I'm saying? And and that was one of the first things. Shout out to Oshar because he was determined to get me backstage to meet Kid Capri. This one particular night, he was determined. They were getting ready to shift, shift him off to somewhere else because he had to go. But shout out to Bobby Fame who threw that party. And O was like, come on, let's go. And I got 20 minutes with Kid Capri. And Kid Capri, that was his advice. He was like, no every genre of music. Study music so you'll never be boxed in. Right. So how how important is from from your and this is all from your perspective, how important is reading reading the crowd, reading the room, and how important is blending to, you know, make sure everybody's back on, you know, yeah. like you need to put them back in pocket basically. Blending is very important, especially if you call yourself mixing. You know what I'm saying? You you have to know like every song just because they have the same beats per minute doesn't mean that they go together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People get that mi- mixed up and confused all the time. Now, of course, uh, Serato's made it dope to where you can do a lot of um, uh, what do you call those things now? Uh, the stems. The stems. You, you, you can do stems now and stuff like that, and do acapellas. Yeah. Make things easier, but you know you really had to learn how to blend and stuff like that. So it's important because you said we can cuss, right? Absolutely. Okay, so mixing is like fucking. You know what I'm saying? You, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> like mixing it. is like fucking. <laughs> if you out of a stroke or rhythm or you put that thing in the wrong hole, you're gonna you're gonna mess up the vibe. That's funny. You're gonna you gonna fuck it. And this is how I teach DJs. Like, you know, you want that thing to be smooth through the whole ride. You know what I'm saying? It's like you are you want to take them on a journey and and you're flirting with them you're flirting with them until you know you get ready to kick that game and then once you take that party to a high the climax and then you let them down easy that's and reading the crowd like and the reason like i I want to talk about it a little bit is because i i know you do the karaoke um i know you sing yeah i know you uh you know you do clubs you can do bars yeah what is the difference you know, from a bar setting, like, or maybe you when you rock CJs, yeah. and 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 then you do a club. Like, what is the difference, and how do you read the crowd? A club, make no mistake about it, is work. 
So the bars, you get to be more of yourself and implement yourself because they're there to see you and they ain't going nowhere. That um, you know, that drink got them in the chokehold. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So they're not going nowhere. <laughs> you know, even if you suck, they're not going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Hey. <laughs> Last Saturday, as I was at the Dallas, this table didn't go nowhere, and I rocked from eight to eleven, and they like move, like they didn't go nowhere, and I was thinking, like, am I that dope, or this drink really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it got them in a chokehold, so you can suck, you can play the worst shit, and they're not going nowhere. But a club, the reason why a lot of you DJs aren't getting hired to do clubs is because you have to understand that when somebody picks out a six hundred dollar outfit. $300 shoes, um, schedules their entire night to be where you are, has to play anywhere between $10 to $50 to get into that place. They want to know you know what the hell you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As far as the transitions go, as far as making them people dance, or at least vibe. Even if you go to a club that they don't dance, they better feel that vibe, and they better have enough vibe to start spending money for bottles and stuff like that. So this is why, shout out to DJ Trill and all these guys like that are in the clubs right now, because they under DJ IQ. IQ yeah. They understand that concept between DJ, promoter, and getting people to spend money. You got to be good to do that kind of shit. Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> as, as a DJ, and you know, can you go to a club or a bar and just enjoy yourself without side eye and the DJ like? Yeah, yeah, that's rare. Yeah, they I, do it to me, but I, yeah, yeah, no, because I, like I'm the same way, right? Since you know, obviously, like I'm around DJs, like I'm going to hear the DJ, and you know, a couple blends is off, but overall, you had a good night. Like I'm like, I have fun. Yeah, but like most of the DJs be like, I can't go to, I can't enjoy myself. You know, when they go out because they always in DJ mode. Can you just be a, a, a fan I mean, or a spectator? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've always been a student of the game. And that's, that's yeah. why I'm glad that um, I constantly stay insecure. That's why I'm glad I do because it, it gives me a sense of humility to know I don't know everything. You know, yeah. so I, I, I always go as a student. Yeah, I, I think I think I definitely approach it as a student. You know what I'm saying? Just learning because there's always like – there's probably pieces of, you know, stuff I'm going to take from you. It's from O, from Rich, from Crate, mm -hmm. from IQ, from Bug, from Beat, from Dan. Like, yeah. You know, that's the way I look at it. Like, I'm going to take pieces, you know, all y'all style and make my own style. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to just put my tribe day twist on it. But, you know what I'm saying? Um, I have no problem with admitting that. And so what? Yeah, so, so, so what? <laughs> you know, because honestly, I, I mean, people like O and Kid Capri, they have every right to be cocky. Absolutely. They have every right to be who they are because they put in the work and the hours and they take it so seriously, you know. Um, but somebody like myself who, you know, life is in the way and don't. I have it now. I'll raise my hand. I have the 10,000 hours. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. to, to work a regular job. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I get it. I get it. Um, what would you say is three lessons that you learned from music? Period. Like, you know, like your life. Three good, solid lessons that you learned from music. Um. I know that's the like first, one of the spot no, questions, no, 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 no. I, I think it's important. I'm up for the challenge. First of all, music is the soundtrack to everyone's life. Uh, so you have to understand that certain songs you can 
you can cause a riot. <laughs> you can cause a riot with music. I mean, I hate, I mean, can I tell this story? Tell it. Man, I was in Britney Hills for a block party. I was in Britney Hills for a block party. And, um, you know, it was just an innocent little bunch of teenagers. But uh, in the middle of that party, I had two cops on both sides of me. And I played, what's that click that you throwing up? North side, nigga. What's that click that you throwing Man. All of a sudden, all her, wow, I'm seeing fists throwing. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's just breakout. So, well, that's one of the things is that it can evoke any type of emotion. Yes. Um, music is a healer. Mm. Music is definitely a healer for me. Um, if I play a certain, and, and usually the most healing music for me is gospel. You know what I'm saying? When I really need to go back to center and really understand what my purpose in life is, I always go back to gospel because that's what I was I was rooted in. I love it. Yeah, love absolutely. It. And um favorite I, gospel singer, by the way. I wanna I'm, I'm curious. John P. King. John, John P. King. Okay, and okay. yeah, just because he his octaves, you know, he's a prince, like the literal artist formerly known as Prince of Gospel. He can, okay. he can sing anything. All right. Um and um lastly I'll narrow it down to hip hop. The biggest lesson I learned from hip hop is that it can take you wherever you want to go, including the White House. It can take you anywhere in this world. What started from the street, what started from the bottom, <laughs> that we got people like Queen Latifah, Will Smith. People don't, y'all looking at Will Smith as the actor. Will Smith, DJ. I mean, and it was part of a duo of one of the greatest DJs of our time. You say one of the best interviews. One of the best interviews was with DJ Jazzy Jeff because he was so humble. I study Jeff to this day. Like, I'll just go on YouTube and just let Jeff sets play. And besides, I mean, we know what he do getting busy with the scratch. Yeah. But Jeff is so clean, bro. Yeah. He is so clean. And I think... I think that's an underrated aspect of DJing overall is how clean can somebody be? Or even if they're messy, can they still rock? Because that's important. Like, you know, I was listening to this interview um, and they were talking about Big Cat. Yeah. And they were talking about, you know, rest in peace, Big Cat. But they were talking about how messy he was. But nobody could rock a party because he had that delivery when I might, you know what I'm saying? His wins might not have been the cleanest, but listen, you know, he had that presence and he was, you know, Shout out to DJ SNS too. Could kill your bar. You just like, you're this big nigga. (laughs) So, um, being, being clean, but yeah, hip hop, man, like, but Jeff, but Jeff went, what the dopest thing about Jeff was I, I, I came to him with cameras off to my plight. I said, Jeff, I'm still on 800s. I'm still, you know what I'm saying, not completely on violence that the other. He was like, do the people rock when you play what you play? Do you, you know what I'm saying? He said, you're a DJ. I came back to Columbus like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, shout out to Jeff. So, real quick, um, I, I definitely want to talk about this. Um, promoters versus DJs. Mm. Um and the reason why I want to talk about that, I've seen on your IG page, you might have made something, yeah, I made a post about, um, you know, like, and basically you were just encouraging DJs, like, bro, don't take $30 an hour, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, so how do you feel like the, the, the divide is with the promoters and the DJs and why aren't they paying DJs, you know, what they're really worth? Absolutely. 
Um, just your your experience and your your opinion. Well, I mean, before you can do anything in this business, you got to understand business. You know what I'm saying? So it's all a business, and they're trying to get the most for less. And any type of somebody running a business, you're trying to get the most for less. So if you're going to take $75 and you're going to stop at that negotiation, then basically you're not doing good business. You know what I'm saying? Because that promoter is doing their job. We can't attack these promoters when you're setting up and you're turning on your equipment to DJ. And at the end of the night, he told you he was going to give you $75. You're going to get $75. What is that? Because this is a business. You ain't gone too far to see that yet. So, so at, the, at the end of the day, I was screwing myself because I was looking at him like, oh, they're only going to hire the IQs. They're only going to hire the crates. They're only going to hire the trails. So let me just get in the door by taking the $75. No, you've done yourself at that point a disservice because mm. so, you didn't do good business. So what, what in another post you said, you're talking about, you know, it's a different between somebody just hiring you and somebody believing in you. What's that feeling like when somebody <sighs> believes in you as a DJ? This is when you're born. This is when you're born. When, when I know you had a few residencies, so yeah, I mean, obviously. But come on, man. I mean, let's keep it a buck. O would have still been who he was, but Bobby was his battery pack. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, Dami and them and Boogie would have been who they were, but you know, whoever they tapped into, that was their battery pack. When that promoter truly believes in you, you get on, especially if they're the tastemakers of Columbus, whoever yeah. Rob Avery and them, when they was dealing with uh, DJ D-Rock, D-Rock and Lil Man got all the parties because they was tapped in on Rob Avery. You know what I'm saying? So when you got that true promoter who knows what they're doing when it comes to promotion and marketing and they can bring the people out, oh, you're the man. Yeah. <laughs> you are the man. That's believing in you. I, I, I definitely, I definitely seen it over the years and respect it, but you know, I think the game, and, and I don't want to get messy, but I think the game is now, like, uh, the promoters want to be bigger than the DJs. So they'll bring in, you know, somebody they can get for $50 because they, they you know, somebody that's decent, but the promoters, because they want to be the star. That's how I feel the game is today. But, make, you know. That's the build-up. When, when, when promoters are trying to get DJs for cheap, they know who they're going to pay. You know what I'm saying? Because the... I know for real, like the, the true DJs that they get for the huge parties, they paying them what they supposed to be paid because they know they ain't going to pay, take nothing less. But when they just want a regular, regular, regular night, they going to get DJ so-and-so to spend for $50 because they know he's thirsty. So those are the filler nights. But the nights that they really trying to make money, are they going to spend that money? <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Um, what is your goal? With DJing still, like what? What is? I know you. You said you know your your insecurities keeps you humble. And you know what I'm saying. But like, do you still have dreams? Do you still have goals? You know, my I, my my goal is to be out of DJing completely within five years, the next five years. Um, and the reason being is because I just want to focus on running a, my radio station, and um. And be, and be married. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't see myself coming in at three in the morning being married. But my one wish before I hang this up is one dope tour. One or two dope tours as in a Kid Capri to open up for a major concert or something like that. Sort of like what Bobby does in the summer and gives DJs a chance to live. Mm -hmm. So I still want to rock my... And I have before, but not in 
the secular world and the gospel world, I've rocked five, 10,000 people. But mm-hmm. to really do my kid Capri in front of five or 10,000 people, yeah. I would love to do that. Right. Um, real quick, how hard is it to run a show? How, like the Uptown show, like how hard? Like, because, and the reason why I'm asking you, you said uh, controlling your emotions. If you want to run a business, you got to learn how to control your emotions. And I haven't done that successfully. <laughs> I, love, I have I like not it. done that like successfully like at all. Man, I'm, I'm a Kanye, man. Um, I'm eight person, so I wear it all on the sleeve. My feelings is hurt. You're going to hear it on the mic. If I, I'm going to rant. I'm going to do all these things. And this is what caused me to be marginalized a lot is because some people will take it on the chin and use it as a chess piece. Yeah. Not me. I'm, <laughs> right, right. I'm going to tell people, you hurt me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so how hard is it? It's very hard. Uh, the Uptown show is celebrating 10 years this year and, and just something won't let it die. It's something that always resurrects it. But um, I tell people the three major things, whether you're on a podcast or radio show, follow uh, this guy named Petey Green. Petey Green will give you the three laws of this business that we have here. Number one is um, no, always no more than your audience. Always, always no more than your audience. Second thing, if you talk shit on this mic, you better back it up. You better back it up with facts or no. I remember you checked me one time. It was about Hove. And you was uh, like, you, you, you inboxed me. You was like, do you know that for a fact? I mean, you you putting this out there for the people. Nah, for those who don't try, try, I never <laughs> known him to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I never know trying to do that, but he he really tapped me in my inbox like, yo, don't put your mouth on hold unless you know factual <laughs> factual stuff. You know what I'm saying? So always, <laughs> so always know more than your audience. You talk shit, back it up. And the next thing, of course, the, the final rule is always be on time early and be on time for everything because punctuality is just sets the tone for your business. Absolutely. Um, top three DJs of all time. <sighs> Biggie said it. Peace to Ron G, Brucey B, King Capri. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Um, last question of the day, brother. In, um, what's the most rewarding part of being a DJ? The rewarding part of being a DJ is what anybody strives to do in this life is doing what you love to do. To get to talk music, live music, influence music. This is our lifeblood. So to be the tastemaker, the one who controls the volume in the, in the room and the temperature of the room, you're you're a master you're a master manipulator, you're a master controller. And people have you to think, you know how many people come up to me now, this is my 20th year DJing. And people be like, you did my wedding. And I look in their face like, I have no idea who you are. Who are you? <laughs> like, where? You made, I don't. Yeah, you made my grandmother's 90th birthday party, whatever. And I'll be like, I don't even know when this happened. So I started in 2002. That's a lot of DJing. I've DJed a lot of parties. Word. <laughs> hey, man. I... Your story is, man, we can do, we can keep going on. Right, on. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> this has been so, so fun because there's a lot of stuff that I learned. Like, like I told you off mic, man, I, I've known you so long, but we never chopped it up like this. You yeah. know, we always talked about just the music, the music, the music. Um, obviously, you know, like we said, life happens, you know, um, last time I remember seeing you at Skelly's and you were sick and I remember, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was just happy to see you outside. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. like he, I, I you know, he good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, was super sick. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? 
And um, I always just admired you, man. You know, I know, uh, I know people. I don't want to say hate, but you know how the city is. You know how Columbus yeah, is. Yeah, just, yeah, just, sure. just how Columbus is. You know, I've never been one in front of you. I've never been. Uh, you know, I always admired you. Um, you're just trying to, just trying to, you're just trying to be happy doing what you do and loving what you do. Yeah. And, and life happens, and you know what I'm saying. I feel like I'm in that same lane as far as like, bro. I'm just trying to be happy in this in his life. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate what you do, man. I appreciate everything you did, bro. I want to give you, Wheezy, Co-City, and Tracy uh, Taylor just flowers because okay. no matter which way the crowd sway, y'all yeah. always stay true to me. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. no doubt, <laughs> man. Hey, DJ Lane, yeah. don't love me, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next time you have me back, we gotta, we gotta talk about that. <laughs> That's a little inside joke. Yeah, man, don't Lane love you, bro. <laughs> it's your boy Chad Day, needle to the groove, man. Yeah, DJ yeah. Lane love one time. Thank we out of here. Peace. Peace. Thank y'all. <laughs> oh man, like you said, we could have went hours on that, bro. Hours, bro. Hours. Man, I appreciate it. Hopefully, I was a... Uh, nah, man, you was perfect, bro. It's your story, so it's always perfect. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the way I always explain to everybody, you know, it's your story, man, so... I know, and I know people get tired of that Puff story, but that night was so crazy. Nigga, I've never heard the Puff story, so I don't give a fuck with... Anybody get tired of I've never heard the Puff story, bro. So... I don't give a fuck how tired is. I don't care, bro. This shit was for me, and then hopefully, you know what I'm saying, we can get some listeners. I know we will, but yeah. don't worry about nothing, bro. Right. I'm satisfied, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the listeners, once we put it out, you know, the listeners are going to do what they do. Right. But as far as, like, me, I'm satisfied. Right, bro. right. We like, saw <laughs> This shit was fun. Yeah, man. Can you um do one thing for me, man? Nah, we got 